and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So I'll say right off the top right now, I am have been fighting a little bit of sickness uh, this past week. So if I at all sound congested or stuffy or anything like that, I'm sorry, I can't do anything about that. I've taken like my boff brand Mucinex and all that. Get over it. It makes my voice sound way more fun and butch than it normally does. But on today's episode, we're going to be heading over to, you know, the mall after the world has ended to go get some new clothes. We're going to be heading over to the radio station to go try to find other survivors of this horrible comet disaster that's happened. And then also we're going to try and save the whole world from these weird like think tank scientists zombie people. But anyway, today we're going to be covering 1984's Night of the Comet. Now, this film is actually a more recent watch for me. I don't think I ever heard of it before, like, to be perfectly honest. And I'm a huge horror fan. Uh, Sci-fi, nah, kind of, sort of. But, you know, I I do appreciate sci-fi. I think I came across this film when I first watched the first movie in the series of In Search of Darkness. If you don't know what In Search of Darkness is, it is a documentary series that has now three parts that you can go watch. They're all on Shudder if you have it. The third one just came out. I actually gave uh, some money to them. (laughs) I was a part of their kind of like campaign for at least the first first movie and the third movie. The second movie I didn't give money towards, but I actually do own the first movie on Blu-ray, the first In Search of Darkness. I got the Dead Meat Collector's Edition, uh, which is fun. So it just means that Dead Meat also has some stuff in there. And then I have the third one. Uh, I'm going to be getting the third one. It's coming in the mail at some point. But I do have like the digital. I was able to view it back when it first was coming out, and now it's on Shutter. But yeah, but In Search of Darkness, if you don't know, uh, it is a documentary series. They're like hours and hours long of pretty much just profiling different films of the 80s, uh, different horror films. And it has a lot of different interviews from just known horror people within that time frame, but also people who really were involved in these movies. And it is such a cool kind of profile and just little thing of different films. And I think it's really good, actually, as a starting point to watch some certain films if you've never seen them. And one of them in the first Um, installment of it is Night of the Comet. And I think that's where I really came across this because I was like, I never heard of this before. Who who the hell is this? Like, what is this movie? And just finding out about it, I was like, oh, so it's these girls who it's the end of the world. And like, you know, they're trying to like save the world kind of, I guess, or whatever. I was like, maybe I should watch this. And then also finding out that, you know, I'm not a huge Buffy person, but I have been watching a little bit of Buffy here and there. And um, even though Joss Whedon is a piece of shit, but Sarah Michelle Gellar is not a piece of shit. And uh, But knowing that, like, and Chrissy Sanchez also kind of, she's a piece of shit too. But, you know, still, Buffy is a fun little movie and the series is fun as well. But knowing that Joss Whedon had his inspiration from Buffy from this movie is really cool. Um, you know, and I'm just like, wow, that's awesome. Like, that's kind of random, but like, yeah, why not? You know, but yeah, it, it just made me be like, all right, I'm going to put that in the back of my head. I'm going to find out what Night of the Comet is. I'm going to watch it. Then it finally came on Tubi one time because you couldn't stream this, uh, at least where I, you know, at least where I was streaming stuff. Like, you know, I, I couldn't really stream it anywhere. I was like, I didn't know where it was. It finally came on Tubi and I was finally able to watch it. And I was like, I think I was home one day. I don't know if I was homesick or something, or if I was just like, 
I don't know. I was just here. And so I, I finally watched it. I was like, let me, let me watch this now with ads. That'll be fun. And I really enjoyed it. And then it was on uh, a couple months ago. It was on shutter, but now it's off there now. And so it's still on Tubi and I absolutely really enjoyed it. I loved that it introduced me to Kelly Maroney, where I've now seen other work of hers. Uh, It's awesome. And, you know, got me introduced to that person, you know, that lady. It got me introduced to just weird apocalyptic movie that has these weird zombies in it. And uh, I also think this movie moves really quickly, too, which is nice. Uh, it's like it's pretty much 90 minutes, I guess, but it moves really quick. And I really like that. And, you know, I always like a good short movie, you know? Yeah, I just think this movie and it is the epitome of a cult film because I think because it's a bit older, you know, it's almost, uh, God, 40 years at this point uh, that, that almost. Yeah, it's crazy how it's. It was a while ago, and, and I think also it shows it's a very L.A. movie, but it's L.A. at a fairly different time, and, you know, uh, I think seeing that juxtaposed to what L.A. looks like now, and, you know, uh, yeah, it's just really, it's crazy to kind of look at it, but yeah, I just really think that this film is a cult classic through and through, I, I think, because it's older, uh, maybe it got a little forgotten, but then people are still like, oh no, that's a deep cut for me. I really like that film or whatever. And, you know, I I think that's really cool. And I, I love that. So I thought, why not cover it? It'd be a great addition to this, of course. So... As we normally do on the show, I'm going to be going over a few figures of the film, going over some of the production history and just the legacy of the film, and then we're going to move into a plot summary. So without further ado, let's move into those figures. So Night of the Comet was released on November 16th, 1984, and was written and directed by Tom Eberhardt, and was produced by Andrew Lane and Wayne Crawford. The budget was an estimated $700,000, and the box office gross U.S. and Canada was $14,418,922, and then pretty much that's the gross worldwide generally, too. The Rotten Tomato score, we're looking at a 79% on the tomato meter and a 58% audience score. We're looking at an IMDb score of 6.3 out of 10, and a letterbox score of 3.4 out of 5. For our cast of characters, we have Catherine Mary Stewart as Regina Reggie Belmont, Kelly Maroney as Samantha Sam Belmont, Robert Beltran as Hector Gomez, Sharon Farrell as Doris, Reggie and Sam's stepmother, Mary Warnov as Audrey White, Jeffrey Lewis, Juliette Lewis's father, as Dr. Carter, the leader of the think tank, Peter Fox as Dr. Wilson, one of the researchers, John Archon as Oscar, Michael Bowen as Larry Dupree, Devin Erickson as Minder, Lisa Lang as Davenport, Janice Kawea as Sarah, the young rescued girl at the end, Chance Boyer as Brian, the young rescued boy at the end, Ivan E. Roth as Willie, Dick Rude and Chris Peterson as the stock boys, the zombie stock boys, and then Mark Popel as Danny May. Jason Keener, or also known as DMK. Some critical response quotes of Night of the Comet are as follows. We have Dennis Schwartz from Dennis Schwartz's movie reviews that says, parodies the 1950s sci-fi zombie flicks. We then have Walter Cha from Film Freak Central who states, crap that is fondly remembered and best left at that. And then we have Paul Atancio from the Washington Post who states, a cheaply made science fiction movie that enters the atmosphere without ever igniting. So before we move into any kind of 
plot summary for Night of the Comet. I just wanted to go over some production history, a little bit of fun facts about the film and everything, and and just talking about the legacy of it as well. So before we talk about Night of the Comet, we got to talk a little bit about Tom Eberhardt. So he's the one who wrote and directed this movie. Um, so he was writing the script. He wanted to merge the idea of strong female protagonists uh, with his love of post-apocalyptic movies that are set in empty cities. And so for the women of this film, he was inspired apparently by Ginger Rogers. Um, and further inspiration came from real-life teenagers um, that he met, teen girls, uh, while filming PBS specials. And so without telling the girls details about the script's um, premise, he asked them to describe how they would react to an apocalyptic event. And so these girls actually saw the scenario more as an exciting adventure, more so than a horrible experience, you know, and only saw the downside of uh, the experience when... um, Tom brought up the fact of dating, because obviously if there's no other men around, (laughs) you can't really date anybody or procreate, really. Uh, Using their answers, Tom ended up writing the script to be a lot more lighthearted and adventuresome, and he really initially had trouble convincing the studio to actually let him direct this movie. But they relented when he held out as um, Atlantic Releasing Corporation, who's the one who released this movie was looking to immediately invest $700,000, which is crazy to me that they were able to do this movie on that budget. It's kind of amazing. Atlantic also wanted to capitalize on the success of their 1983 movie, Valley Girl, which is also fucking wonderful. Deborah Foreman, uh, Nicolas Cage, E.G. Daly. Go watch that, please. And the popularity of like quirky drive-in films like Repo Man. So the producers of this film... Andrew Lane and Wayne Crawford, they clashed with Eberhardt during filming. He would later go on to say, Tom Eberhardt would later go on to say that they didn't understand the film and that they resented being assigned to such a, quote, like, low-budget B-movie. And early in the production, they attempted to have him replaced, but it didn't work out and he ended up staying. Regardless of that, though, he did, uh, Tom did give credit where credit was due, and he praised their producing skill and said that the film wouldn't have been made without their help. You know, so even though they had a bit of a contentious relationship, you know, it ended up working out in the end. Little fun fact, so I think uh, the original... There was always going to have Mar- Catherine Mary Stewart in the lead role of Reg, but uh, actually for Samantha, uh, one of our girls, Heather Langenkamp, uh, actually auditioned for the role of Sam and was the number one choice on the casting list. But this part ultimately went to Kelly Maroney. And when you think about it, actually, I'm pretty sure Nightmare on Elm Street had already come out by this point. So she was a known commodity really um but i'm very glad kelly maroney got this film um if you don't know kelly maroney she actually came from soap operas but she is uh in fast times at ridgemont high she plays cindy one of the you know little cheerleader girls um so it's funny she's placing a cheerleader in here you have that going on nothing else too crazy going on i mean really generally when it comes to some of these things like the scenes in an empty los angeles were just shot in the morning on normal business days again this is also back in the 80s so i think la was a little bit different than it is now but that's still pretty cool that they were able to do this um and apparently the shots of the barren city were also done quickly when the traffic was held up at stoplights so they could try to like make it look up you know yeah deserted and apocalyptic and all of that which i just think is really funny 
Uh, oh, also a little fun thing. So uh, Doris in this movie is played by uh, Sharon Farrell. And actually the little boy at the end of this film is her real life son, uh, Chance Boyer. So I think that's kind of fun that, you know, he was able to be in a little movie. A little fun thing, too, is that uh, you see a soundtrack for Valley Girl in this movie uh, that Sam actually tosses over her shoulder um, in the film somewhere. And so it's just funny that it was released by the same company. And of course, they're going to cross promote it a little bit. <laughs> which is kind of cool. I also think it's really fun that I think it's really fun that actually in the beginning of the movie where they're having the party at um, Reg and Sam's house and Sam gets in a fight with Doris and Doris, like literally they slap each other and then like she gets slapped back and she like does this like fucking like backwards, like, you know, like roll or whatever. Uh, that actually happened in real life. Like she felt, um, Kelly felt like she wasn't getting the right reaction, uh, for her fake slaps that she was doing. And so she literally asked Sharon Farrell to like really slap her and she didn't want to waste too many takes either. So she was like, just slap me. It's okay. And yeah, I just think like, you know, it's crazy that this movie ended up being as, as, uh, popular as it ended up being you know it did make a fair amount of its money back which is awesome of course it didn't create any kind of franchise but i'm actually very happy about that i'm totally okay with that um because i think it's just good on its own really i also think it's really cool and it may be at a you know maybe at the time or whatever, I mean, the world's just now a lot different. But, you know, when it comes down to that, I also think it's really fun that, like, this movie has two female protagonists in the film who don't need a man, but they have a guy, you know? And also that guy is a Latino dude, and that was kind of a big deal at the time, you know? Yeah, you have two white leads, obviously, but, like, you know, having this, like, Hispanic dude in here, and and he's kicking some ass, and he ends up partly saving the day, too, so... So that's really cool, too. But yeah, I really do think that this film uh, in particular, if anything, I really think it's cool that like, yeah, it really was just done. I I don't think it was expected to get the legacy that it ended up getting. You know what I mean? Um, It's a low budget film. It made a bunch of its money back, you know, and I really like as I was saying earlier, you know, I do like the fact that even though this movie did make a fair amount of money and maybe they could have had a franchise or something, I'm, I'm glad they didn't do that because I don't think it really needed to have that. This movie really did develop a cult following after the years of its release and everything. I think we have uh, Keith Phipps from The Dissolve uh, wrote that the film's cult following, I think, really comes from how matter-of-factly it treats its weird premise, because it is a weird premise, uh, but it treats it like a, you know, actual story. Yeah, it's weird. Like, this comet, like, comes over the world, and it, like, eradicates the whole world, and these two valley girls are left? Like, what the hell? But yeah, I think it's really cool. And, you know, uh, this film was voted number 10 in Bloody Disgusting's Top 10 Doomsday Horror Films in 2009. And also, this uh, movie has, you know an influence on Joss Whedon where he used the character of Sam Belmont played by Kelly Maroney as an inspiration when he created Buffy Summers of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. 
And uh, because, yeah, like, they're both cheerleaders. They both kick some ass. Uh, You don't expect them to kick ass, but they do. And so, yeah. I'm also very happy this never got a remake. Apparently in 2018, Orion Pictures wanted Roxanne Benjamin, who is a horror director lady, um, to write a remake of this movie. And it just hasn't happened yet. I don't think it will. And to be honest, I don't think it really needs to. But that's just me. But yeah, without further ado, though, we kind of went over all that stuff. But without further ado, let's move into a plot summary. So we begin our film with this like night sky like narration going on um, that I'll actually read for you now. Since before recorded time, it had swung through the universe in an elliptical orbit so large that its very existence remained a secret of time and space. But now, in the last few years of the 20th century, the visitor was returning. The citizens of Earth would get an extra Christmas present this year as their planet orbited through the tail of the comet. Scientists predicted a light show of stellar proportions, something not seen on Earth for 65 million years. Indeed, not since the time that the dinosaurs disappeared, virtually overnight. There was a few who saw this as more than just a coincidence, but most didn't. And so then you see a bunch of idiot humans just, like, deciding to, like, party it up while these scientists uh, decide to then go underground. Uh, so we see the scientists go underground, and then we see the idiot humans just, like, partying about the comet and having comet parties and stuff like that. So that's all fun and dandy. We are then uh, introduced into the movie theater, um, and we are introduced to Mel, played by Stanley Brock, and he is the manager of this movie theater, uh, who is holding this, like, I guess, screening of some movie uh and pretty much like uh it's like a kind of i think it's a friday night and so he's trying trying to like sell these little like uh ear things at like uh the counter at the little refreshment counter and we also have our introduction to reg or regina uh who's played by mary Catherine stewart uh so that's fun she's playing a, a arcade game and so she's like I guess supposed to be a gamer, I assume. And so she sees, you see that she's like on the leaderboard as Reg on the arcade game. Uh, and then there's this person who I guess played the game and was also on the leaderboard, uh, only known as DMK. So she's trying to find out who DMK is because how dare he or her or whoever, uh, play their game. You know what I mean? But then Mel is like, all right, Reggie, you need to like get to work. <laughs> like go take this flashlight and like shine it in the theater. And then she's like, I hate doing that. They throw things at me. And so anyway, but like Mel's just there, you know, with his like fucking like you know, movie theater and everything. And so, yeah, he sends Reg to work. And so Reg then goes up in the production booth where Larry is there. Larry is played by uh, Michael Bowen. And so we see he's up there. He's trying to, like, sell off some, like, bootleg copy of Night of the Living Dead or something like that on the phone. And so he and uh, Reg are talking to each other. Uh, you can tell that they're kind of together a little bit. Maybe not boyfriend, girlfriend, but, like, they're kind of hooking up, maybe. Something like that. And so they're talking about spending the night in the booth, you know, because this is like, I think it, it, we find out that it's two weeks or so to Christmas. So it's like in December, it seems like. Then Reg uh, decides she has to call home. So she calls to her house and we get introduced to her sister, Samantha, played by Kelly Maroney. 
And so then Kelly Maroney, uh, you know, Samantha, she's on the couch. She answers the phone. And she's also watching this, like, news report going on about the comet and people being interviewed. Or, like, they're just, like, having, like, the guy from the news and then, like, people behind him, uh, you know, outside and everything. So then Reg is asking Sam uh, to lie to Doris, who is their stepmom, played by Sharon Farrell. And so, you know... She's saying, like, you know, you should lie about where I'm going, you know, where I'm going to be all night. I'll just say that it's, like, my science class or something. They're going to some observatory to watch the comet, and it's for extra credit or something. And so then Reg gets on the phone with Doris and is trying to talk to her about, like, well, you want me to do better in science, right? And Doris is just like, listen, if it was up to me, I wouldn't care when you come home. But, like, you know, blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. (laughs) In my notes, I have that Sam reads Doris, right, to filth. And so then we see Doris slaps Sam, and then Sam slaps her back, and then she just, like, punches her. Uh, So you can tell that they obviously don't have the best of relationships, I guess. A fun little fact about this is that Kelly Maroney actually did get slapped in real life um, because she felt like the fake slaps that um, Sharon Farrell was giving her was not really working, and so she wanted to get a little bit more uh, out of it, and she didn't want to just waste time, like, you know, waste time and money. So she decided to, uh, to really take a hit. You know, what a true method actor does, I'm sure. But anyway, so... Yeah, then we have this view of people seeing the comet come by and pass by and everything. So we see people outside and they're like looking up at the night sky and everything. And then we then see while we see that, we're also seeing Larry and Reg are in the booth and they're on the ground in a little like sleeping bag or like under some blankets or something like that together, you know, and they're making out and I think he like pokes her with his dick pretty much, which is just really you know just so silly and everything and they're talking about like uh superman so i guess reg is supposed to be like a geek kind of a little bit of a nerd you know she likes video games and maybe she likes comic books and stuff maybe but she talks about like how superman can't see through lead he can see through steel though because they are like oh maybe superman's watching us or something like that blah 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 whatever and then in my notes i have it's uh the end of the go- uh the end of the damn world to funky 80s music because we come back to the people looking up at the night sky and everything and then we see that there's this like funky 80s music going on and then fucking like pretty much it's the end of the world like because then we cut to it's now sunrise so it was a friday night now it's turning into saturday morning and so we see that uh there's a sunrise going on and it's pretty much the end of the world we see this deserted ass Los Angeles, pretty much. It's crazy how it was, you know, so deserted. Uh, this definitely gives me vibes of, like, a little bit of, like, 28 Days Later, which I'm sure does have some influence from this movie going on, because it does have that in there, of course. But yeah, you're just seeing how deserted it was. They were able to get these shots, really just from being able to shoot a little early in LA, and at the time in the 80s, I don't think LA was maybe as congested as it always... Well, maybe it was a little bit, but, like, it was just a different environment, I'm sure, a little bit, so they were able to get that kind of thing. And that's so cool that this is really kind of a time capsule of that time in LA. 
LA, um, you know, just for people who, who might be nostalgic for that or who are just interested in it. We see this like creepy clown, this like creepy clown statue that's like waving. Apparently that's the same statue, the same clown statue from Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which I wouldn't be surprised by. We see like there's a school, there's like this pool that we see. We then see sprinklers come up and, you know, it's sprinkling the, the grass and everything. But again, no one's around and everyone's pretty much been turned into dust because we see their clothes all on the ground and everyone's been turned to dust then reggie and uh larry they wake up in the booth together and so actually reg wakes up uh to the radio uh playing and so but also larry is like um yelling to himself because this guy who was supposed to come get this like bootleg copy of something or whatever uh, i guess he didn't show and so he's gonna try and go find this person or try to do something like that and so then Larry, uh, so Reg is still on the ground, just like, you know, like with her, with the blanket over her and everything. And so Larry goes and he's about to open the side door that I think is funny, has a, uh, a movie poster with red dust on it, which is funny because everyone got turned into red dust. And so he opens this door thinking that there's some guy there who's supposed to be picking up this like bootleg copy of whatever. And then it's actually just like a fucking zombie and he kills him. So then Larry dies. Uh, and so then we see that Reggie has decided to get up and she's going down. And in my notes, I say Reggie's playing video games. So she's going down and playing her like, you know, beloved arcade game. Uh, and everything like that. Um, she doesn't even know what happened to Larry yet. So then she decides, once she's done playing her video games, she's then going to go uh, look outside, I guess. And so she decides she's going to walk out there. She puts a trash can up to the door to try to keep it, you know, from locking her out. And so she then walks outside and she just sees, like down the road and all this and she's just like huh that's weird but then she actually gets locked out of the theater unfortunately and so then um she goes to the alley and tries to get through the side door but she's not able to she then finds this bloody wrench on the ground and then she walks a little further back in the alley and where we see like a motorcycle and then uh she hears this like weird noise coming from like a bunch of boxes that are in the alley and we, she goes up to the boxes, and then the zombie that killed Larry is now coming out of there. And she decides, she's like, oh, I guess I have to fight you. So she's like, you know, back off. Like, I'm going to have to defend myself. You know, don't make me, don't make me hurt you. And so then she actually does fight back with this zombie, and she, like, tries to kick their ass. And then, fucking, she drives up on, you know, she jumps on that motorcycle we see, and she just then drives away, pretty much, after kicking the zombie's ass, of course. So then we see that Reg is driving through LA, deserted as all hell. So then, uh, she comes across this like abandoned or yeah, I guess abandoned Mercedes, which is actually Tom Eberhardt's car apparently. So that was fun. But you definitely see this like, yeah, you just see, I definitely think this is where 28 days later gets a little bit of its homage to Night of the Comet because, uh, they even like find this Mercedes in that movie, I think. So like, you know, it's definitely an homage there because this is very much an apocalyptic, you know, end of the world movie. Uh, in my notes, I just have gorgeous, pretty beauty, which is a reference to Mad, uh, Mad TV. Um, yeah, because it's really pretty to look at, like the way they color graded this and just all of that, I think is really, really pretty. And I would love to watch this on like a 4k, like Blu-ray or something like that. Be so I'm sh- I think that exists actually, or at least like a really good, you know, definition one, but Anyway, Reg then ends up at home, so she's come back home, and so she 
comes into her house. She she doesn't find anybody at first. She's just like, hello? Like, is anyone here? Like, you know. And then um, she finds Sam, though. Sam is in her cheerleading outfit because she is a cheerleader and she's on her way to practice. And so this particular cheerleading outfit was actually made for Kelly Maroney in particular. She had actually been a cheerleader already in Fast Times at Ridgemont High where she played Cindy. And that was not very form-fitting to her and she didn't really like wearing it. Uh, but this one in particular was actually made to her body. So it like fit her really well and it was a way better one to wear. Uh, Kelly Maroney has actually said that. Sam then talks to Reggie about what happened last night about how she and Doris got into it and she decided oh I'm always going to run away uh, but then I decided not to actually run away and instead she just uh, went out to the lawn storage shed or whatever and just slept out there which is why she's pretty much alive at this point <laughs> but yeah Reggie then tells Sam that there's absolutely nobody because Sam is just like going on about her day and like you know eating cereal and like you know just like whatever and then reggie is telling her like there is nobody here there's nothing like we there's not like civilization is gone as we know it pretty much and so this is kind of hitting sam and like oh okay and so then reg literally has to explain to her i don't think maybe sam doesn't want to believe it at first and then reggie is literally like look at everything like here's doris you know like here's what it is here's chuck you know oh by the way also doris i think was also cheating on um the the father that she's with uh with like the across the street neighbor named chuck and all of that but anyway so reg is then saying like where are the goddamn kids like it's saturday morning like the kids would be out playing like there's nobody here like there's nobody so then it really kind of hits everything then though we do hear on the radio that there's a radio broadcast going on and there's a radio host obviously so that must be somebody who is also still a survivor and so reg and sam decide to drive to the um radio studio down in downtown to try to see if they can find other life down there uh but unfortunately when they get to the radio station they go in there and they find out that it's actually a pre-recorded tape so then probably that radio dj is probably dead too but this is actually where we get our particular intro to Hector played by Robert Robert Beltran and he actually uh, I mean he is a Hispanic man who is uh, one of the leads in this movie pretty much uh, which I think is super cool and Hector is telling this story because uh, he holds he holds up uh, Sam um, points a gun at her and then Reg is all like you know okay so if you put the gun down like you know we can make a deal with like you know we can make a deal and like whatever Um <laughs> And, like, Sam's like, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, but then Hector's like, oh, okay, I guess you guys are normal. So then Hector's telling a story about how he came to town with a girl um, who was also a survivor and talking about the zombies, like, how they tore her, like, limb from limb and, like how one of them was eating a cat or something like that and so that's how they got into town like he was driving a truck into town or whatever right and then at that point reg i think then realizes about larry and what happened and so that like sends her into you know crying and she goes into the bathroom to cry and hector's all like what's wrong with her and then sam's all like you know i think what happened to your friend the girl that you came into town with i think happened to somebody she knows so then we see 
Reggie, she's crying in the bathroom, and Hector then goes to check on her, and they start to talk a little bit. Um, so Reggie and Hector are talking a little bit, and uh, Reggie's not really into Himmler or anything at that point. So, like, she's just like, oh, okay, whatever. But then Sam decides uh, she's looking at, like, some of the vinyls that are there, which actually, fun fact, there was a Valley Girl vinyl in there somewhere, which Valley Girl was actually released by the same place, uh, Atlantic Picture Recording, I think it was, that also did this um, American, yeah, I think it was Atlantic Pictures or something like that, um, also released this film, so it's a fun little Easter egg. But yeah, Sam decides she's going to be a radio DJ now. And so she's, you know, broadcasting her voice out to God knows where and God knows who will hear her. And so then Reggie and Hector are talking about like guns a little bit. And then Samantha is talking on the radio and all of this. And she actually sees that a call comes through on the hit line phone and all that. And so then we, this is where we get the introduction to the underground think tank uh, because there's like this voice ever going on of you hear like reggie and sam and hector all kind of talking like oh well who did you talk to on the phone and and you know sam's like well they're like this scientific community that like you know is blah 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 blah, whatever whatever and so there's then we get the intro to uh one of our scientists audrey played by mary warnov um cult uh film extraordinaire she was in eating raul uh with robert beltran actually robert beltran suggested mary warnoff for this character in this movie uh because he had already worked with her before and then mary warnoff and kelly maroney would technically go on to star in chopping mall together don't you worry chopping mall's on the list somewhere somehow somehow way and then we get some intro to the other doctors as well uh, one of the doctors is played by jeffrey lewis who is uh since passed away but he is Juliet lewis's father uh we also have like dr wilson played by peter fox we've got oscar played by john acorn uh minder played by devin erickson lisa lang played by um or davenport played by lisa lang and stuff like that um so we're just seeing these like people and these different like scientists and what they're doing then we get a view back up in around Los Angeles uh, when we come back from underground. Sam is driving. Uh, she's drinking and driving, actually. And so she's, like, driving. And she says something about how, like, how did the phone company? Nobody's the phone company anymore. Um, and so then we see these cops are on motorbikes and they're coming after her because she's speeding. Right. And so then, um, she has to stop her car and she's like, she throws like, oh shit. She has to throw like her, like drink back in the back seat and all this kind of shit. Um, and anyway so she's like look i know you guys are gonna give me a ticket but uh then she sees like oh no it's zombie cops right you know there's that and so it's like a pretty much ends up being a dream and then we see that sam sees that reggie is sleeping and so she goes and gets up and she goes to the bathroom and she takes off her little cheerleading outfit she's not nude this is a pg-13 movie y'all but she gets down her like bra and panties and she's gonna take like a bird bath and then we see that some person comes up behind her and like pulls a knife on her and it's like another zombie and oh no it's another dream and then it's just a double nightmare pretty much and so then she's like wakes up and she's like screaming and like reg has to comfort her and like hector's like what the hell is going on blah blah blah, blah. so then reggie and hector are talking to each other like oh is she okay and she's like she'll be fine she'll be just fine this is where we then find out that hector uh has to go back to san diego as he is from uh to see if his mother is still alive or any of this kind of stuff 
And so then we get a little bit of background to Reggie and Sam because Hector and Hector and Reg are talking a little bit and they're, uh, you find out that the mom, the biological mom split, I guess, and left the dad with the, these two girls. And so then they were raised kind of like boys almost in a way, like they, <laughs> they were brought up very much like about, you know, the military and guns and stuff like that. And, you know, just raised by a single dad, you know, and then ended up getting another, another wife, uh, the Doris that we had earlier. But yeah, we get a little bit of background to, to the girls. Uh, we see that Sam is sitting on the couch, just like with her legs up to her chest. And then we see that uh, they decide, I guess they were able to obtain some other weapons. And so they decide to do a little target practice on a car. And so this is the, of course, like a cheerleader with a machine gun. It's actually a Mac 10, I believe it's not newsy, but this is uh the nice little line we get from uh from Sam, who says, like, uh, Daddy would have gotten us Uzis, which I thought was really fun and cute. But, you know, because she's like, this is always the problem with these um, with these guns, that they always stick or whatever. But then Sam and Reg, they're having a little bit of a fake fight because, you know, like, Sam's asking Reggie about, like, you know, hey, did you make it with that guy last night? And she's like, don't worry about it, whatever. And so then she's like... Because then she kind of says, like, you know, well, every guy you've ever, you know, tried to, you know, every guy I've tried to get with, you tried to get with or whatever. And they have this, like, fake little fight. But then we see that Hector then goes home. He drives his truck that he has up to where his, like, I guess, um, parents or his mom's house was. And so then Hector goes into the house and he goes through it. And then he sees that there's this, he hears something at the front door and he sees that it's like this fucking zombie kid. And so he just runs away from the zombie kid and he escapes. He, so he runs through the house and then he escapes out of the house and he's able to escape and run away from this zombie child. I also think the effects in this movie, especially with the makeup, are really good uh, from the zombie kid and some of the other zombie people, like the zombie cops and everything. I think they're really, really, I think it's pretty good for for a lower budget movie. We then go back down underground where we find Audrey again and another scientist. I think it's Oscar. They're talking a little bit. Might be them or like um, Dr. Fox or something like that. I think it's Dr. Fox, actually. But then... um, they're talking a bit, and then we see that they have brought some children via helicopter to the facility, and then Audrey is, like, losing her shit about them doing that because she doesn't feel like that's right at all. We go back to Reggie and Sam. So Reggie and Sam are, like, outside, and they're sitting on t- a police car. Uh, we find out that Sam is, like, having some kind of little rash going on because it's just, like, all what's going on or whatever. And they're just, like, talking with one another, and, you know, Sam's, like, talking about, like, her like friends and what their lives were like before they all just like got turned into dust and shit. And so, you know, you have all that and yeah, I don't know. Like it's a nice little scene going on. I think, uh, Kelly Maroney, I think has even said uh, that this scene in particular, it's to kind of show that like Sam knew more than she was letting on about what happened to everybody, you know? So she's definitely talking about that. But, you know, we can't have too much of a Debbie Downer going on because then we have to, you know, have the girls go shopping uh, because, of course, why not? This is a, it's a female-led movie, so, of course, they have to go to the mall, obviously. This is a movie in the 80s. Um, so they go over to the mall. They go to the Galleria. This was shot at the Galleria over there in, you know, L.A. This is where they did um, Chopping Mall at. They've done a couple other movies. Fast Times at Regiment High was done here. 
Harbor. Uh, it's a very well-known area. It's a very well-known um, location in LA. So, of course, they used it. And so they're going, and we hear Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cindy Lauper, which I love, which literally, it was a newer song by this point, which is crazy to think, but it was. And so, you know... They're just like going through the mall and they're like trying all these things and all that good stuff, you know, as you do. It's like a fun little montage. Uh, but we then see that they're also being watched on the cameras at the mall. And we see this like creepy ass guy who's like watching them on the um, cameras or whatever. So then we see that the lights all get turned off in the mall. And so, oh my God, like this is really scary, all this kind of stuff. And then we see that it's these like guys, I guess it's these like stock guys. So we have one played by Dick Rude and the other one played by Chris Peterson. Uh, but anyway, so like these guys just like come up and they're like, you know, I don't know. They're just there and they are pretty much, pretty much what they're doing is they're just intimidating them, uh, to say like, you know, Hey, you're not supposed to be doing, you know, are you going to pay for that stuff? And they're just like intimidating them, but the girls aren't taking it, bitch. They're fighting back. So they're like fucking, they got their guns and shit and they're going to fight these guys back completely. And so I think like at this point, like, uh, what is it? I think it's, uh, Sam, she like drops a fucking like, TV somewhere like down it's crazy this is also the same scene I think pretty much too uh, beforehand before they start fighting where they talk about what if Hector has the same problem as us where there's not enough guys <laughs> Which I thought was really funny, where, you know, I think it's uh, Sam who delivers the line, like, you know, so the last man on Earth is either a perfect gentleman or he's a fag. Which, again, this is the 80s, everybody, okay? So, like, this is a little different, but, you know, whatever. Sam Belmont can, you know, call me whatever she wants. It's fine. But anyway, so... But yeah, so the girls are fighting back, but then Samantha does get captured by these dudes, though. Even though they did get put up a good fight, though. And so that she's caught by these dudes. And so they bring her like down the stairs and they say, all right, bachelor at number one, like, you know, if you don't come out within half a tick, I'm going to have to ice bachelor number two, you know, and then you start counting down. But then Reg takes a guy hostage too. Right. And so she's all like, all right, we're not, you want to play? Well, let's fucking play, dude. So, like, you know, that's all happening. But then the head guy, the head stock guy or whatever, he kills this guy that Reg had, you know, hostage. And, you know, this is where they have the line, like, Reg says, like, you're crazy. And then the guy's just like, I'm not crazy. I just don't give a fuck anymore. Just kind of fun. But then we see that the think tank people are coming up and they are looking for the girls. They decide, like, all right, we're going to pretty much try to get these people uh, who are still also survivors, too. We're going to try and get them and, and bring them where we're at so then unfortunately reg and sam are caught by these like crazy zombie stock guys i guess they're finally like actually caught by them and so they are brought down into like the basement of the where uh like the mall or whatever where they have like set up this little like weird camp going on and so then they're about to kill them pretty much like they literally are playing like russian roulette with fucking sam which is scary because of course they're like showing her the barrel and be like oh no there's still a bullet in here somewhere and like it's just like creepy as shit like it's kind of 
spooky you know there's a reason this movie i mean it's sci-fi but like there's a little horror in this shit too like just some of the imagery they have and just the idea of it is really creepy uh because it really is apocalyptic but then we see that the think tank peeps are coming down and they then save the girls from these guys they fucking kill them and you know whatever it's all it's all wonderful and they decide they're gonna save them so then you know reg is taken off to the think tank and sam is left behind to then wait she's left behind with audrey and oscar i believe and then you know reg is taken off and they're gonna be waiting for hector so that's why they left sam um that's why they left sam with audrey and all them so then audrey and sam are talking a little bit and then audrey injects sam with something and we are then to assume that uh pretty much Sam is killed at this point so that pretty much like Audrey had ejected her with something you know to pretty much kill her like lethal inject her and then we see that Audrey and Oscar are talking with one another but then Audrey then kills her co-worker Oscar pretty much uh we see that whole thing going on not spending too much time into going into details because i don't even remember what they were all talking about but you know it's just finding that we definitely see audrey as the villain which was not very far off from mary warnov she always kind of plays villains in her movies a lot of the time she's also fantastic in house in the um house of the devil from ty west anybody who hasn't seen that i think it is one of his best films actually the the ending's kind of weird but like it's actually a pretty good movie, and Mary Warnoff's there. But anyway, so <laughs> we then come to uh, Hector, uh, dressed as Santa, who is driving. I don't know what the fuck he was doing, because you don't really see Hector a whole lot until now. So then, again, you see him running away from the fucking zombie kid. Uh, but then pretty much we've been with the girls for the last however long it was. But he's like dressed up as Santa. He's driving back to the radio station. Uh, but the girls are nowhere to be found because you got to remember, like, they left the radio station. So he's just thinking, oh, they're back home there. They're back over to where they were at. But then we see he goes into the radio station and he meets Audrey, who's on one of the, the couches uh, that's in there. And they meet Audrey then reveals what actually happened down. And this is exactly what's been going on. So you're actually feeling a little bit of sympathy for her a little bit i think you're supposed to sympathize with audrey now again she is supposed to have been the villain because oh no she killed quote-unquote sam but we see that what actually happened was that she she's reveals that the scientists who went down underground who thought they were saving themselves were actually exposed to the same thing that these other people were who were turning them into zombies. So they were all injected or they were all exposed to this. And so they're slowly but surely going to turn into zombies pretty much. And then she just pretty much lethally injects herself and just, you know, unalives herself with that. So it's really, uh, it's kind of a sad scene, honestly, because she just decides, no, nope, no, nope, fuck it. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's what happens with that. So that's why I think you're supposed to sympathize with her a little bit because of, you know, the fact that she knew what was going on. And this is why when, you know, the kids are down there, when the kids are brought down to the think tank, that's why I think she loses her shit a little bit because she's just like, this is fucked up. And so we didn't really know what was going on until, you know, she actually reveals it. But then we're back down in the think tank and Reg is being interviewed by a scientist who keeps asking her if she has hepatitis or anything like that. Um, and so 
yeah, we then see uh, Reg and the scientists are talking. Then we cut over to some lady scientists who are talking about draining blood. So the basic idea... So we're cutting between back to Reggie's interview with the sky, and then we're coming back to the lady um, scientists as well. But the baseline idea we have here is that pretty much what's happening is that this think tank has decided they know that they're been they've been exposed to this stuff, this you know stuff that's turning you into zombies. So what they're going to do is they're going to drain the blood of these people who are still survivors. Uh, to pretty much try to make a serum in order to make them not zombies, I guess. Uh, and that's the whole point. So that's why the children have been brought down here and all of that kind of stuff. And you see the, the lady scientists are prepping these people to get their blood drained. We then uh, hear the interviewer, I think, says something about how, you know, Reg is asking, like, where's my sister at and all that. And she says, like, well, your sister is, he says, well, oh, your sister is dead. And so we see that the kids are being prepped uh, for the drain, for the blood drain. We see that going on. And it's really creepy, too, because it's like, I mean, children are kind of in peril in a way and this and spoiler, they end up being fine. But, you know, it's just really it is really upsetting to know that, like, these people decided that they'll do even, you know, kids are going to be put into peril now. Uh, And I don't think they had a whole lot of that always going on. I'm not saying that they didn't have like weird or creepy kids because they definitely had creepy kids. But I think in general with children in peril, I think there was only so many examples of that you could really find. I mean, you could say maybe like, I guess the exorcist had that because, you know, Reagan's in peril. But in regards to, I don't think Hollywood was always the most comfortable with that, which is why something like it on uh, ABC when they did the miniseries, it was a big deal because, you know, putting children in peril is something that they, people try to stay away from, especially, you know, advertisers and, and big networks and stuff like that. So, yeah. Then uh, a guy I think named Dan, I guess, comes in uh, to start talking about Red, to t- start talking to Reg. And then Reg just like hits him because, again, she's just a scrappy, scrappy lady. I like her. Anyway, so then we get to, you know, Hector. He's driving up to the restricted area, and I put he's now a cowboy, because he is. Because we've seen this restricted area a little bit here and there, but then we see that he drives up to it. He's now a little cowboy, and so he's, like, getting the guard to, like, come over and, like, you know, just kind of charm him in a way uh but then we see that like he opens up the trunk and even hector is explaining like well you know like this person like injected this girl with this like freaking like whatever it was and to think that you know she was dead but she wasn't and so sam's actually in the trunk of the truck i guess and she then grabs the guard and like you know incapacitates him we then see reg is making her escape she's trying to make her escape through uh the underground bunker because they realize that she has gotten out now i think all of the alarms are pretty much generally starting to go off and so yeah well, they're not, uh, they're not going off quite yet, but they will be in a little bit. But, uh, she's running through the bunker because she's trying to escape. Reggie then happens upon people who are getting their blood drained and she's just like, you know, creeped the fuck out about it. And she's just like, Oh God, what are these people doing? And then she unfortunately gets captured. She also gets slapped in the face too. That also happens as well. But then we also see that we then also see that, uh, Hector is 
doing some time where, you know, he is sticking some dynamite underneath a truck because he has come with a plan. Um, and Samantha then heads down into the bunker and she decides to turn off the generators because, of course, she decided to do that because why wouldn't she? So she turns off the generators and she finally comes across Samantha and or no, she finally comes across, Samantha finally comes across Reg, and you know, they reunite, and they decide to take the children, because at this point, again, uh, Reg happened upon these lady scientists who were prepping these kids to pretty much get their blood drained, and she was like, oh, that's sick, that's really sick. And so, you know, but yeah, so Sam and Reg, they reunite, uh, they take the children away, and they've actually made it so that the lady scientists are now put under the laughing gas they were about to put the children under. Um, so now they're just like hysterical you know they're laughing hysterically you know in the beds uh and all that stuff so then hector drives up and they pick the girls up with the girl uh the kids um to like pretty much get out of there because you know all of this point uh they've been able to uh do what they can to try to fuck the think tank up pretty much we then see that uh (laughs) hector just wants to really admire his handiwork so he like stops the car you know, that they're in because he really wants to egg the people on. And pretty much what we see is that the cars that he put the dynamite under, uh, it explodes with the scientists inside of them. Uh, but then we do see that a zombie scientist tries to take one of the kids after, you know, he was admiring his handiwork and everything like that. And this like scars the fucking kid, <laughs> you know, but then they shoot the shit out of him. They shoot the shit out of that zombie, like therapist, uh, that zombie scientist. Um, zombie therapist can you imagine but anyway so we have that and then finally and actually a rarity apparently it's now raining in la we see that it's raining um and so we then are coming up near the end of the movie so reg has decided to make a little family with her and hector so you know because i don't i guess they haven't you know boned at all or anything so uh but they've made themselves a little family so like you know they're kind of the mom and dad and the kids are like the kids and like she's taking photos of them and like all that kind of stuff it's like really cute we then see samantha looking fabulous i think she looks so good she's like maybe i can join a nunnery and so then they're talking about like so reg and her little family now have like come up and they are one side of the street and then samantha's on the other side of the street and they say we don't cross uh you know we don't cross you know against the the light or whatever and then like samantha's like what do you even mean what is that even supposed to mean and be like are you what are you talking about it's you it's a ghost town like you know who are you talking about like we're the last people on earth pretty much but then when she says it's a ghost town though there's this car that comes up with like some guy in it that comes around and he and sam decide to flirt because she's like oh nice car and be like hey yeah i got 23 of them you want to go for a ride in it she's like you don't even know of course i do (laughs) and so you know they finally are like okay like cool like well who are you then because they're like hey shouldn't you like know who this guy is and so she gets uh samantha gets the name so gives the name of uh danny mason keener and she's like danny mason keener okay you know and so she's like i want to have a little bit of fun god like this is a guy who i could like have a little bit of fun with right 
So we actually find out who DMK is because we see his little uh, license plate that has DMK on it. So he's the guy that Reg was wondering who it was in the beginning because, you know, he must have played the same arcade game, I guess. Uh, and then he and Sam drive away into the sunset, I guess. And then it's pretty much the end of the movie where we have our title, our end title sequence, where we see, like, uh, the little nice little family, like, playing together or whatever. And then we have this... Uh, closing song with our closing credits and that is the end of night of the comet so when it comes down to you know night of the comet i really truly do think this is such a fun movie i've given it probably a four star now i think it was at three and a half when i first saw it but i really do i just i love this movie i think it's so good i'm i think it lives right in that early 80s like you know, kind of movie. It has that sensibility to it. I love that it's like a sci-fi horror kind of film. You know, it's that post-apocalyptic kind of, you know, aesthetic, but then also like this weird zombie stuff's going on. And I don't know. I also love, I think I mentioned earlier that like, this is a female centered story. I mean, of course it's two white women, of course, but like, you know, it would. but even having something like, you know, Robert Beltran in there, you know, having some Hispanic representation and, you know, that was pretty cool for the time as well. And, and I just think like, I think Dom Eberhardt did such a good job with this film. And I really do think that, um, this is a movie that if you're definitely a horror fan, uh, I would absolutely recommend. Oh my God, please watch it. Uh, but even if you're just a fan of like female movies and like, you know, maybe sister relationships or whatever you have, like, I, I just think it's worth your time wholeheartedly. I absolutely believe so. I would, I would probably own this movie, you know, and I know it's out there on Blu-ray somewhere. So maybe I need to get on getting that, but you know, I just really like it. Uh, if you don't have the Blu-ray of it, don't worry. You can find it pretty easily. Generally, I have seen it on, I watched it on Tubi, uh, not too long ago actually probably yesterday or earlier today uh but uh yeah i just think you'll see it though on um it's been on shutter it was on shutter a couple months ago maybe like two months ago uh so it makes the rounds here and there you know but i definitely think it is so worth your time please watch this movie i mean it just and what i also love again i love the fact that i also found this out too that Apparently, they did want to do a sequel to it, but uh, they didn't know who owned the rights, I guess. And uh, I think Kelly, Kelly Maroney was a part of wanting to do that. And I think even Tom Eberhardt like, did want to do a sequel with it. And you know what? Listen, like I, I'm sure a sequel would have been really fun with this movie, and I, I could have seen it. But I think I mentioned earlier, like, I, I'm actually very happy that there's not, like, a franchise to this movie, and I didn't think it really needed it, honestly, and I'm also kind of happy that there's not a remake of it, honestly. Again, I think Roxanne Benjamin was tapped to do one or, or whatever, and nothing's come to fruition yet, but I'm actually kind of okay with that. Uh, I'm not always... It depends on the remake. I'm not the hugest fan of some of the remakes that have come out of things, um, but... You know, uh, you already know my love for the Summer Prime Massacre remake, but, you know, um, but uh, I just didn't, I don't think this really needs one. I think it's just so fun, so 80s, it's so good, uh, so please, please, please do yourself a favor and watch this movie, and it's wholeheartedly worth your time. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. In case you want to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you just want to say, hey, I'm open to all of it. 
You can also follow the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram handle is Cult Cinema Circle, and Twitter handle is Cult Cine Circle. On those platforms, I tend to announce the different episodes I'm going to be doing. I'll make little Instagram stories when we have an episode drop and just generally interact with anybody on there that wants to interact with me. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On there, I log the movies that I watch and write little reviews about them and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much out there everywhere. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review so we can grow the audience more and also just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, where I'll be covering 1989's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Bill and Ted are high school buddies starting a band. They are also about to fail their history class, which means Ted would be sent to military school. But they receive help from Rufus, a traveler from the future, where their band is the foundation for a perfect society. With the help of Rufus's time machine, Bill and Ted travel to various points of history, returning with important figures to help them complete their final history presentation. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember... You were born with an asshole, Doris. You don't need Chuck. Take care. Bye.